tonight I would like to talk a little bit about a question which seems to me very appropriate in this context and the question is what is the use of retreats I will not repeat in amazement and in irritation this question as it uh, usually happens when we are overwhelmed by a hindrance called doubt but we will rather try to explore this question there are people who for different reasons fall out of retreats, drop retreats after doing one retreat or maybe more and there are people who keep doing retreats and uh, this is, is a retreat for people who keep doing retreats <laughs> so we should ask what's the use of retreats for people who keep doing retreats <coughs> and of course uh, it's more or less the same as asking oneself what's the use of uh, the Dharma, the practice of the Dharma which means it's a very vast question and but we'll try to look at a few facets, a few aspects of it I would like to begin from uh, um, what seems to me to be a very important and crucial side namely the fact that a wise use of the practice of retreats which means having motivation uh, which means having learned the right doses of intensive practice which is a practice in itself retreats the practice of retreats tend to increase our love for the practice so one of the most important results as the time goes by of the practice of retreats is that our love for the practice increases and this is obviously very essential because without love for the practice there is neither growth nor survival of the practice I'm not talking about curiosity for the practice which has a place but we are talking about something deeper which doesn't come overnight which takes place and grows over the years therefore we are, we are not talking about honeymoon with the practice which is often followed not always but often followed <laughs> by strong ambivalence at least towards the practice and um, we're not talking about attachment to the practice 
which is not love for the practice. Attachment implying fear and uh, ambition. So, love for the practice is, is a somehow more mature dimension. Interest is at the core of this dimension. We are not curious, we are not attached, we are very interested. We have a strong, as I said, it's been developing slowly, strong interest for the practice. And mind you, sometimes the slower, the better. The slower, the stronger. Like with certain trees, pine trees are very slow and very strong trees. And of course, this is a very consoling thought when we are discouraged. But it's true. I think it's very true. Um, strong interest means that we feel much more alive. If we think of it, we spend so much of our lives looking for interesting things, interesting situations, interesting jobs, interesting places, interesting people. Because interest means more life. So we, we, we are rightly interested in interest. When we have a skill and we can apply this skill to our satisfaction, there is joy, there is satisfaction in our lives. So the same with the practice. It's an interest. It's something we can apply to our satisfaction. However, Practice is not, is not a specific skill. I mean, if I like music, um, it takes a certain time, place, instrument to be able to relate to this uh, skill or inclination of mine. But if, practice, if our practice has roots, then more and more it tends to be all-pervasive. So it doesn't need a specific time, specific place. And this is uh, quite enormous because it implies that we have a strong potential to go beyond duality, to go beyond separation. Suppose we have a strong inclination for music or for carpentry. Whenever we are away from the possibility for music or for carpentry, there is some form of suffering because there is separation. We are here and our beloved whatever is there and we are looking forward. We can't wait. See all forms of suffering. Um, but if we have something, the practice, which can be applied everywhere and at any time. This is a very different situation, a very different skill 
and very different interests, more and more it tends to make us one rather than being separated from something that we like. So in certain respects, practice is like uh, another skill. You have to train, you, you're here to train, to develop that skill. It takes time, uh, we have to study, we need teachers. It's like another skill, like uh, uh, another discipline. But in other important respects, it's totally different from other skills because it makes for unity. It's all pervasive. I don't know of another skill which could be defined as totally all-pervasive. So practice is very ordinary and very, very special at the same time. There's one big consequence of our falling in love with the practice. As I said, I'm not talking about the honeymoon. So our mature falling in love for the practice has another consequence that we start conceiving divorcing finally from the kilesas once we fall in love with the practice. Kilesas attachment, aversion, ignorance. See, as long as we don't have this new interesting relationship, we tend to stay in that marriage. It's a terrible relationship, it's a terrible marriage, the marriage with attachment, and, and yet it seems that we keep staying in that relationship. We know that it's very bad, that it's terrible, but somehow, uh, we hope uh, maybe one of these days is going to change. It doesn't. Actually, it gets worse and worse. But one never knows. It could change. And, and so, you know, days go by and months go by and years go by. But then, when we have a new relationship, we feel supported. And so we start looking at things from a different place. And we start wondering, how was it possible for me to spend so many years with this person? Uh, dimly, we knew it already, but we didn't have the, the courage we didn't have the capacity for decision. You know, decision literally, etymologically means to cut. But this new warmth, love for the practice means warmth. This new presence in our lives enables us to see our situation much better and to begin uh, dropping our connection, deeply uh, 
charged with suffering with attachment, aversion, and ignorance. But it takes being supported, being nourished by this new warmth. See, this is why love for the practice has a reassuring effect, a very specific reassuring effect. It doesn't mean that we are high all the time, we go up and down. And sometimes we even forget that we love the practice. But since trust is a constitutive element, constituent element of, of, of love, we know that it can go under the water and then it come back. And we feel reassured when there is a person in our lives whom we love and who loves us seriously, truly, we feel very assured we can face uh, so many things, having this quality of warmth and, and support in our lives. But this is why love for the practice is such an important thing. And this is why retreats can be such a precious thing, because they nourish this major source of reassurance, of serenity, of strength in our lives, the love for the practice. If we think of the connection between retreats and this long-term effect, we see that obviously the process of purification which happens in retreats has a lot to do with this new dimension which gradually comes to the surface. See, the idea behind retreats is exactly the same idea which is behind the invention, so to speak, of monastic life. Retreat, an intensive retreat, is a, a short-term monastery, is a short-term monastic life. Monastic life means protection and guidance, protection from the world and guidance into ourselves. That's what, it, that's what it's meant for. The world means that there are powerful forces which create confusion, tension, conflict in ourselves and which tend to increase all this suffering. Practically, suppose this is not infrequent, we live in a home where there is quite a bit of tension, of conflict. Uh, maybe there is uh, often uh, a hectic life going on. Then from this home, through many traffic jams, we go to our uh, workplace and there is tension and conflict and uh, uh, something hectic going on there. And then from there we go to some entertainment where more or less tension, conflict and violence uh, <laughs> 
uh, how would we expect to take care of ourselves with this diet day in, day out? So uh, human mind invented monastic life and retreats to protect ourselves wisely, to take care of ourselves, because uh, uh, would not be realistic, would just be uh, naive or presumptuous thinking that, oh, all this is just a challenge, you know, I can, I can uh, grow uh, just using all this um, input uh, to grow up. We need a base. We need uh, a basic strength in order to be able, maybe, to do that. So we simplify our life. We use rules, schedule, so that we simplify our life. We make our life deliberately simple. And we keep company with like-minded people, which is a big support. So simplification and affinity as being the key of, of monastic or uh, retreat life. And all this help a process of purification, of subsiding of the inner confusion and more transparency. I think it would be helpful if we consider, in order to understand all this a little bit more closely, the uh, connection between retreats and the uh, a noble eight, Eightfold Path. <coughs> Very briefly, just to remind you, the noble, the noble Eightfold Path has three sections. The first section has to do with understanding. The first two factors are right understanding and right intention or thought. Then we have the ethic section, which has right action, right speech and right livelihood. And then we have the last section, which is meditation, namely right effort, right mindfulness, and right uh, concentration. Now, this is not a linear uh, process, but rather uh, a circle or a spiral, because we have to start with some understanding, like a little suspicion that there is suffering and a way of uh, transcending suffering which nourishes the intention to work, the right intention, uh, which brings us to uh, a more intense or a higher moral sensitivity, which in turn helps meditation, which helps understanding and, and, and on and on. Obviously, the connection between retreats, intensive practice, and uh, meditation is clearly visible. I would only add, we, we spend the whole day uh, trying to be mindful and trying to get concentration. The only uh, remark I would um, like to add has to do, again, with love of the practice, with love for the practice, and right effort. To the extent that love for the practice increases, our effort becomes 
more right effort. Because as long as there is no love for the practice, as long as it's just a task, something which we do on faith, then there is separation. It's basically, uh, uh, it's not yet, it's not a mature right effort, because it is something that we uh, want to get. It, it's not something we love. When it is something we love, then it is at that point, it's really mature effort, right effort. Again, right effort is not something which comes overnight. It's something which has to mature. And certainly, the uh, increase, uh, the growing of the love for the practice means the growing of this very basic ingredient, which is called right effort. Through retreats, through the use, the wise use of retreats, um, moral sensitivity has to grow. Actually, it's a very good test. If we feel that our uh, ethical standards uh, stay absolutely the same, actually get a little bit worse after many retreats, something is not working there. But if you are practicing correctly, then this kind of sensitivity deepens. Sometimes also in, in as I'm sure many of you know, in, in funny ways, like one is doing a long retreat and suddenly we have this memory of what we did 22 years ago to that person and we start having a fantasy about writing a long letter of apology to that person. Sometimes we do write this long letter, and sometimes people even mail that letter to that person who probably doesn't even remember what happened and who is this person who wrote the letter. But um, aside from <coughs> a part of all this, which is uh, technically called yogi mind, the, 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 gist, the gist of the issue, you know, uh, becoming sensitive to a wrong, thing that we did shows this uh, uh, increase in, tra in, 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 in sensitivity, in moral sensitivity. And then there is this very crucial uh, section of right understanding and right intention. See, the idea is that the more we understand right understanding about suffering and its causes, the more our mind changes. Right, Samma Sankappa, right intention, is translated equally well, right thought, right thoughts, in order to indicate that the quality of our thoughts changes. Thoughts of loving-kindness, spontaneous thoughts of loving-kindness, of loving thoughts of compassion, and thoughts of letting go, of renunciation in the sense of simplification, start coming, start becoming more frequent in our minds. See, that's why uh, Sama Sankapa, right intention, is, is a very important path, is a very important thing, because it, it, it shows 
it has to show to us very concretely, very tangibly, a change in our mind. I'm not talking uh, about ultimate realization. I'm talking about something happening side by side with our old patterns. So we have our old thought pattern, our old emotional patterns, and in addition, we have more thoughts and intentions towards compassion, loving kindness, simplification of our lives. Because the more we understand about suffering, right understanding, the more we let go. So the more we simplify ourselves, and the more space we have, and in this space, more loving kindness comes. You know, this is basic doctrine that in ourselves there is something basically good, but then the clouds, uh, the weight of attachment uh, covers, cover up this something good. But once we uh, um, start working in making all this kilesa lighter, then the the, the, basic, the basic goodness tend, tend to surface. So, the more we understand, the more we let go, and the more we let go, the more our space, inner space, tend to uh, fill itself with what is good. In the Tibetan tradition, they have a very similar way of describing it, this. They say the practice has three pillars. One is compassion, the other one is letting go or non-attachment, and the other one is the deep understanding of the emptiness of, of things. Again, in Theravada we have right understanding and right intention. Now, love for the practice, although this is not specifically stated, it's obviously a part of right intention. And it's very akin to loving-kindness, to compassion. It's a form, if we think of it, of generosity. We give ourselves to something which is not uh, selfishly uh, qualified. Because of our love for the practice, we feel trust. And because of trust, we can have compassion and loving-kindness. Love for the practice means that more and more we enjoy simplicity. We enjoy simplification of our lives. It is not that we have a romantic, romantic myth you know, about living simply, and then we don't live simply. Love for the practice feeds an organic tendency towards simplicity. Simplicity, understanding, loving-kindness, they are all interrelated, they are all connected.
There are ways of right understanding, which it seems to me are quite specific of too intensive practice, quite specific of retreats. One thing I'd like to call transparency. I'll give you an example. We um, read something, we read a remark about the Dharma or maybe a doctrine, um, a Dharmic doctrine, and we understand, we agree, and um, it doesn't open up new vistas. It just um, passes through. Same, maybe we go to a meditation evening class and we hear something about the Dharma, and okay, we agree, and that's it. Maybe six months later, we are in a retreat, and we happen to hear the same thing. We have a totally different reaction. It is very resonating, and it's like we heard it for the first time, and it does something to us. It kind of imprints strongly upon us. It's like now it's ha-ha. We are receiving something, and maybe it's exactly the same words. But when we were maybe tired, maybe worried, who, who knows? It couldn't come through, it couldn't pierce uh, this thick something here or here, you know. Whereas in the middle of that retreat, uh, just came down very smoothly and, and, and uh, nourishing our heart, enriching us. And we understand very clearly that we owe this to the clarity and the intensity of the practice. You understand this further step in understanding uh, is because of the clarity and the peace that we've gained through ups and downs, through all sorts of difficulty in the retreat. We are emptier and more receptive. Another effect in terms of right understanding, which seems to me rather specific of, of retreats, of intensive practice, although obviously not limited to retreats, is uh, something which has to do with um, self-concept, with the way we see ourselves, a change in self-concept. Sometimes it can come like a big flash and uh, more often is a gradual thing, is uh, a chain maybe of uh, small flashes. In other words, we come more and more to understand, I mean this can happen to some people and in a different version can happen to other people, we come to understand that for years we 
have lived as though we knew what it was all about. For years we have deluded ourselves, uh, thinking that more or less uh, we knew. For years we've been basically, we realized that we have had some big presumption, big arrogance, maybe not even consciously. And because of this, we've been on the surface of things and we've suffered because of this. See, this is, I'm not talking about ourselves judging ourselves. Oh, I've been bad for so many years. This would be just one more problem. The insight is an insight into the suffering which that attitude, which has been with us for so many years, has caused us. That taking so many things for granted about ourselves, about our people, how much harmful that attitude has been and how much suffering has come from that attitude. Basically, we realized that we've been drifting along and while drifting along, we thought that we were driving, you know, in a, in a very good direction and that was a total delusion. It can be unpleasant at first, realizing to some extent something along these lines, but it's just the first moment because afterwards it's good, it's true, it's good, helps us to reorient our life. Again, I'm talking about an insight. I'm not talking about a new judgment about yourself, ourselves. That is not helping at all. As a matter of fact, this is one more uh, change in self-concept which can come through the practice, more specifically through intensive practice. This is a new thing, another thing. The insight is that the constant judging ourselves is a major source of suffering. Major is a way of solidifying ourselves, of reifying ourselves, and separating ourselves from the rest of life. We think there is a huge difference between praising ourselves and blaming ourselves. <coughs> Our self-righteous part thinks that blaming ourselves is very virtuous and uh, praising ourselves is uh, bad. Uh, in the light of, of wisdom, they're exactly the same thing. We just puff ourselves up, make a ball, and separate this ball from the rest of the life and suffer because of that. But see, judging, devaluing, blaming ourselves, and a meditation retreat is a spectacular uh, way of, 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 of having an experience of this intense and ongoing activity that we have. Judging ourselves is a way of producing 
an untold amount of suffering. But because of our conditioning, because of our training, we are usually only dimly aware of the consequences of the judging which are uh, caused by this activity. Also because sometimes, maybe often, it's very subtle. See, if we've been meditating for a while, we uh, get, um, we become relatively skillful in spotting gross ways of judging ourselves. And we start dropping that. But there are many, many ways, and there are many subtle ways of comparing and judging. So many subtle ways of uh, infusing poison into our minds and hearts. Now, when we start realizing that this is just uh, a way of producing suffering, a way of creating, of fabricating ego, that's a very precious moment. Although, usually it's not just one big flash. So, right understanding. Moments of right understanding connected to intensive practice. Moments of right understanding supported by our love for the practice. Just imagine how essential it is to have this love for the practice when we have insights which at first which at least at first are not so pleasant. Love for the practice is something which helps uh, counteracting the discouragement which comes. In other words, from right understanding, right intention. I understand that I've been deluding myself and I intend to go deeper into this, to drop whatever it is that makes me suffer, like uh, this proliferation of judgments and comparisons. I intend, I vow, literally, to drop all this whenever I'm aware of this, and through right intention, more space opens up inside ourselves, and more good things can come to the surface, which otherwise would be kept underneath by the weight of all this. I think Martin Buber somewhere uh, says something which uh, sounds to me like a, a, a synthesis, a putting together of uh, what we've been talking about. Martin Buber says, uh, the task of a human being is to understand which is the path of his or her heart and then choose this path with all his or her strength. Right understanding, understand which one is the path according to my heart, the true path for me. And number two, right intention, choose it 
with all my strength and choose it again and choose it again like with the breath you know choose the breath and choose again and choose again it's the same and choosing implies a certain amount of freedom implies a certain amount of right effort because if it is compulsive it's not a choice it's not right effort it's not liberating now right effort is liberating wrong effort is not right effort has to do with choosing has to do with space and has to do with responsibility so understanding what is our path and then choosing choosing it and choosing it again is an act of deep responsibility but the difference now is that there is the joy of responsibility as opposed to fear of responsibility which maybe has been, it's been a big burden for so many years in our life because we didn't have much understanding and therefore we didn't have much freedom but as soon as there is a little bit of freedom then we are free to choose what is good one of the key word, words in this tradition is kusala kusala means good means uh, what helps, what serves us uh, so retreats What's the use of retreats? Use of retreats is helping us choosing what is good, which is, which is no small thing. Thank you. Maybe we can sit for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.